Hi, and welcome. I'm Kristen Bernier. I am a brand and communication strategist and fellow consultant with Hear This Now. I'm sitting down with my absolute best PLU, Emily Reed Daniels, founder of Hear This Now, to have a conversation with her about this phenomenal COVID crisis leadership development program coming out of Hear This Now. How you doing, Em? Awesome. <laughs> this is so fun. We always said we wanted to do this together. Oh my God, totally. And now we're actually doing it. I know. And we get to talk about um, what you are so passionate about and have infected me with, which is trauma-informed schools and, and really embracing um, what I, I realize now is, is, is like the water we swim in, which is just the impact of the, our lived experiences. Totally. And it's like, it's so fun because once folks really start to dig into this work, it really does sort of provide um, lenses through which you view everything in your life. Like your whole experiences are redefined and in some ways reimagined as a result of this incredible science and its application in our lives. So, yeah, I remember three years ago when you first uh, started with me what you were learning and as you were attending all these trainings and um, I remember after after grasping what trauma was and aces and and this whole concept I remember saying to you it's it's like the sixth sense <laughs> like it's like I see I don't only I don't see dead people I just see trauma <laughs> like, like yep that person's totally dysregulated right now I am completely dysregulated <laughs> You've changed my vocabulary forever. I know. It's so fun, too. It's so fun to listen to my girls, like, talk about being activated and dysregulated and, you know, needing to, like, settle down or get, get grounded. It's, it's great. It's really um, – don't you think it's helped to oh, – it's helped to make it, like, so you can reinterpret people's behavior in such a way that doesn't make you as – doesn't make any of us as judgmental, right? So it's exactly. like – exactly oh my God, that com person's completely defense mobilized. Like, you know, that's why they're acting like a total jerk. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. And it's such a, uh, a relief to have a language to describe those things. Totally. Uh, no, it's, and speaking of which, let's, let's talk about trauma-informed schools because even as I go out into my world and I'm so excited to be partnering with you and, and doing this work, um, and they're like, well, what is that? It, like, can... Can you just kind of share for this conversation what what is a trauma-informed school and, and what it means right now and in, in what we're going through with this pandemic? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, of course, a huge question in terms of how anyone really succinctly defines that. There is no universal definition, but... Um, you know, I've definitely spent time with you and in my own head trying to kind of flush that out. So I would say that a trauma-informed school is a school that aspires to essentially um, do what it can to cultivate safety in every facet of its being and functioning. And so what I mean by that is that there's, a, there's an active recognition that um, it's super important for people, for children, for adults, for families to feel welcomed, to feel um, acknowledged, to feel validated, to feel joy, to experience um, like play and dynamic movement and rhythm and all these different, um, you know, essentially they're like 
very fundamental human experiences, oftentimes ones that we have when we're young children, but they kind of, they kind of go, they've actually, what has happened, I think, is that they've gone away in the last 20 years in the name of, um, you know, achievement. And so a lot of what we've done to our schools currently has made them more trauma-inducing or trauma compound it compounds trauma in in the body stress response system so a trauma informed school recognizes that recognizes um humans biological needs for safety and connection and regulation physiological regulation and therefore infuses that understanding into every way in which it functions whether it's you know how it does staff meetings or um, how the, you know, the school day begins and ends and what happens in the middle and are there opportunities, ample opportunities for children and the adults that are with them to be experiencing physiological regulation and safety and connection and all of those things, which are the biological context for learning and for reason and for compassion. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. I mean, I know that wasn't super succinctly defined, but yeah, uh, <laughs> it's like one of those things that kind of, yeah, no, it totally wasn't. But it's one of those things that it's, you know, language in so many ways is very limiting. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, when you get this stuff, you just get it. You like get it in your body and it, and it kind of manifests instinctly and in, instinctually as opposed to articulately. <laughs> I, you know, I think you've touched on something there because we talk a lot about the cognitive versus the felt sense. Mm -hmm. And it just makes sense that we struggle with cognitive language to describe this, but we feel it in our bodies. Exactly. That's you know exactly it, right. You know it when you see it. Exactly. You can't describe it, but you know it when you see it. Right. You know, when you, when you experience it, like we all know what it feels like to feel safe. And it's, it's just the best feeling in the world. And it's also one that we infrequently have, but especially in our schools. So schools that want to be trauma-informed or aspire to be trauma-informed are doing everything they can to intentionally design for safety. Yeah. Well, and so interesting thing, and thank you so much for inviting me to your most recent convos during COVID. It was so great to listen to those women speak. They're just phenomenal um, administrators, educators, so, so glad that they're out there doing what they do. Mm. Um, and one of the women spoke about her community and the perception of her staff that their, their community, their, their students didn't experience trauma. They, they were almost like too, too maybe too affluent. That, yeah. that, that trauma doesn't happen in, in certain communities. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's a, obviously, you know, that's part of what the ACEs study helped us to understand is that it's, doesn't, you know, trauma is something that, you know, cuts across all kinds of demographics. But I think, you know, you sort of acknowledge this during that conversation with those three badass ladies, which was that um, even if folks haven't had formally had like an adverse childhood experience, um, that all of us are walking around with calibrated stress response systems, meaning that there are associations that are laid down in our body memory with um, certain cues in the environment. And so we can all experience being triggered and getting dysregulated. And, um, you know, when you start talking from that standpoint, I think people really start to get this, 
get this more and it, and it ends up becoming less about the trauma and more just about understanding human functioning. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I think that that's, Hell yeah. What, yeah. And that's, I think why people really <laughs> dig, dig into the polyvagal when we like start talking about all of that. Um, you know, in some ways polyvagal helps to illuminate and, and help us understand better why traumatized people are so reactive, but really, in my opinion, the polyvagal theory does a much better job of actually just helping us to understand what we have formally pathologized or labeled bad behavior as behavior that is survival behavior, that is behavior that is, you know, ultimately trying to protect us in some way. And so... Yeah. I mean, who doesn't experience yeah. regulation, right? Who exactly. Doesn't get, who doesn't get activated? Who doesn't get defense mobilized? Like we all do, whether you're an A score of zero or 10. Yeah. Well, if someone, if someone ever said, no, that never happens to me, I'd be like, then you just don't know yourself. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you need to think exa- I, let me ask five other people who orbit you. I'm sure they'll have a very different response. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh- so let, let's talk about the, the COVID crisis leadership development program, because that yes. was sort of the impetus for that phenomenal Zoom chat we had. Yeah, yeah. So this, this leadership development program, um, which Chris has done such amazing work with me on Lara Kane to help develop it, um, really is born out of what we are seeing right now in our school systems. So coming into the school year, we thought for certain um, that our students were going to be like the number one casualty of this pandemic. And I will say that I think they're going to be the long-term victim in all of this, mm-hmm. um, or potential victim in all of this, but really the front lines of who this has really taken a toll on and it's evident is our school leaders. Um, they are fried Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it's, they really are fried. And, uh, and so it was interesting because like, typically people contact me about providing training to their teaching staff, but this fall it was like, you know, there was more of a barrage of people asking for support for their school leaders. And I was like, yes, because I actually have always wanted to do more work with school leaders um, because a lot of times they don't actually get the training that I provide for their staff. So Anyways, you know, we discussed it and decided that what people need most right now is support, that like leaders themselves are feeling that they're swimming and drowning, mainly drowning, (laughs) Mm -hmm. in um, pressures, expectations, constant shifting landscape of what's happening. School's open, school's closed, school's hybrid. You know, parents want it, parents hate you, teachers are scared, teachers are, you know, teachers are also having a really hard time with this as well. But that ends up landing in the leadership, um, a leader's leader's lap. Because of course, the leaders feel the squeeze on both ends. They've got the families, the students, and the teachers squeezing up one end, and then they have the school board and their senior administration, superintendent or whomever. Sometimes that is the superintendent. They're getting squished from the other way. And so it's really those like building level administrators are just for a ride. Um, And we were like, you know what? We need to like get in on that and help these people out. We need to give them some structured yet adaptive support that is just like the right amount So it's like not your traditional PD. You're not going to come and do like six hours of Zoom training because that would make anyone want to die right now. But 
It's more about, (laughs) (laughs) truthfully, we're going to be kinder to our audience than that. (laughs) We're going to actually take care of them. It's right. Yeah. So it's really about providing them the right amount of support, Mm -hmm. um, the right level at the right time. And so to get them out of that isolation. Totally. Totally. And for them to also recognize that what they're going through is actually more shared than not, because that's, as humans, we ultimately, that's what we need in our sense of belonging is to right. know there's more universality in our experience than not their struggles are not their failure exactly this is, this is the hand they've been dealt exactly exactly and nobody has a playbook for this because this is unprecedented exactly exactly and it's funny too because i don't think i think everybody's just kind of hit the pause button like hmm, we'll just wait for this to go by <laughs> right and and right. i think that you know um I think that we recognize that meaning here this now and those of us that, you know, those of us that work with one another, we recognize that like that our work in trauma informed schools has never been more relevant in this moment in time. And so we need to be doing what we can to help sort of embody the science, um, you know, the application of the science. So that's what we're looking to do. Well, and also, I think one of the things I, I really like about the the program is that it's a team-based effort. Totally. You know, we've talked so many times about like the lonely leader, and we're, we're talking now about the isolation. You know, these, these women that we spoke with speak about how isolating and lonely it is. And, um, but this is not a, a do-it-alone effort. Yeah, no, not at all. And it's funny too, because so... Um, you know, folks that I have been speaking to that have expressed a lot of interest in this are like, well, you're saying, you know, three to five people from my district besides me, that's kind of a lot of people to find, you know, not, I don't have six other women in my district that want to be trauma-informed school leaders. And I'm like, well, it doesn't have to be leaders in a formal sense. Like, yes, do I want you to select some others that have formal authority? Absolutely. Because what we are trying to help you to, our participants to do, is to build internal resilience and to build internal resources. And they can't do that on their own. They have to do that in relationship with their peers and their colleagues. And so those can just be other like-minded colleagues that, I mean, I would have been one of those allies. You know, I was a, I was a school counselor. I was a student assistance counselor. I never had a formal position of leadership. But damn, I was leading some work, girl. And um, I, yeah. would have, I would have loved to have had a school administrator say, hey, do you want to do some leadership development with me on this particular focus? And I would have loved that. And so that's what I'm looking for folks to do is yeah. the, number, the number matters. They, this isn't about them just coming and getting an experience and then going back to their district or their school and being alone. They need others to be in this experience with them so that they can then also bring it back to their their schools or their districts and spread it in that way that there's like a critical mass of people that were um, infusing with this kind of support and knowledge so mm-hmm. that they can then you know essentially scale it in their own in their own home places well, and and to have shared understandings yes how can, you, how can you strategize how how can you make a plan with your colleagues if you're not speaking the same language Exactly. Exactly. And you know, it's interesting because we, you know, I have literally trained thousands of people at this point, three and a half years into this journey as a consultant. And what I find is that um, people who have been able to attend the trainings and then implement from there have seen, um, have seen change and have 
felt good, but they've also been very stymied by the fact that, again, they're singular in their effort. And so I know that there needs to be more deliberate group-based capacity building in a system in order to really make this um, gain traction. You need momentum and you need that with numbers. So right. that's, that's part of why we're trying to do this. Because, you know, we, you and I and, and Lara, we designed this program to answer the need right this moment, but it's also to moving forward. It's moving forward that like, we want people to feel like they have a handle on where, the, where, what direction they should be heading yeah. in. Amen. Well, and I think too, we, we've talked about that with these challenges come opportunities, you know, and this, this pandemic and all the things going on, you know, have, have raised a need that's actually always been there. Um, but now it's just, it's, it's really just completely unveiled and, and unavoidable mm-hmm. and, and folks, you know, need this support and this help. Um, so no, spot on. And I do think a six month program, it's, it sounds like, uh, it sounds arduous, mm. But I think if you look at it as, as that it's spread out, that it's really, I, I think what's nice is that there's an opportunity for learning. There's, and then there's at your own pace um, for sharing, for um, interaction with other colleagues and to apply maybe some of the, the new understandings or, or wisdom that's been shared among the group and then to be able to come back to it. Exactly, exactly. And we've, we've seen that now too. And I've seen that now and and COVID actually forced this, which is what, um, which is that virtual trainings don't translate as well in large blocks of time. They're better if they're in smaller snippets and then spaced out with a good amount of time for synthesis and digestion between sessions. And so I've been able to do that in abundance with lots of different people from all over the country. And people are telling me, you know, and I was somebody who was totally like sold on the needed to be in person, intimate, like very in um, in depth and, and that sort of thing. And that has its place as well. But I think in a virtual format, actually people need smaller chunks over longer periods of time. Um, they just do, cause it's just a different, it's a different way of connecting and it's a different way of learning. So that, and also this, this crisis isn't going away. Like even if we get to develop a vaccine and that starts being disseminated and that's, you know, widely disseminated in the next three months, four months, that's not like going to just make everything magically disappear. We have right. a huge aftermath of this that we need to be prepared for. Yeah. And so we're not going to flip a switch and all of a sudden go back to normal. It's going to be yeah. a process. Exactly. Exactly. And what we hope as well with the program is that we can sort of redefined to certain ex- to a certain extent what normal will feel like, what normal will be like, because there are parts of what was normal that wasn't good. And this is an opportunity to refine and redefine those, um, those injustices or those um, structures that don't no longer serve their purpose. Yeah, that's well said. Very well said. So, thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So articulate. I'm taking notes. I'm taking notes. Um, so one of the other beauties of having multiple people is you really get a lot of value for your money. I mean, really, this, this program is loaded up with opportunities pretty much for an entire school district. Yes. Um, but that really significant coaching uh, for your, your leadership team, if you break that down to a per-person cost, that's, it's, it's really very modest. 
Yeah, it is. People get kind of shocked initially by the price tag. They see $17,000 and they're like, oh my God, it's a lot of money. But what they're not looking at is the value that they're going to derive from that kind of concentrated spending. And again, again, the purpose of this program is to really provide for a district uh, um, something that is, you know, it's not a it's not a, what's the word I'm looking for? The, I can't think of the idiom, but it's not, it's not one of those things where it's just a flash in the pan. This is not just a one day, one off mm -hmm. ad hoc, you know, kind of unattached sort of experience. Right. This is, you know, this is something that is potentially um, beneficial from the moment that it its inception from the moment it begins, it's going, I believe that a district will see that it has great benefit for its participants. Mm -hmm. And, and so in, in that way, we built in all these facets of it um, intentionally. So like there is a portion of this that is dedicated to training whomever in the district is available and would like to get trained or whatever administrators decide who should be trained mm -hmm. um, to be trained in, in the regulated classroom, equipped with the guidebooks for it, equipped with the somatosensory toolkits that go along with it. Um, so they, they are coming away from this experience, providing their educators, their in the, on the ground, in the trenches, educators with invaluable regulation tools and strategies and strategies for building relationships with students and colleagues. I mean, they're getting all of that yeah. in addition to the leadership coaching and support yeah. that they're receiving. I mean, it's kind of like, honestly, like when I really think about all of it, I'm like, we should have charged. What, way are, what more. were we thinking? What were we thinking? <laughs> I know. <laughs> really? Like, listen to this and be like, what? <laughs> I know. Rachel Rogers would be pissed at us. She'd be like, girl, should have doubled your press. <laughs> but I think it is, it is like, and, and I, I know it was important to make sure that it is, is accessible as yes, well. Yes, exactly. You know, to make well, sure and, it's accessible. Exactly. And so, and part of this as well is that we also are aware that the CARES Act funds have to be spent down by the end of 2020. So December 31st, mm. 2020. And a lot of districts still have leftover funds from that that haven't been spent and are being considered to be spent in very frivolous, wasteful ways. This will not be that. So, I mean, you, you just have to, you know, I think that there, there is, um, there are monies that are available for this kind of resource development. And um, I just think there's nothing, there's no better money spent than really trying to bolster internal capacity for adaptation yeah. and resilience. Like that's just, that's a worthy investment that will have payouts for years to come. Well, and, and professionally and personally. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I think that this, if, if you, for folks who, who dig in and do the work, yeah. um, that, that really it, it can be life-changing for all of us because, you know, we're learning from the folks who join us as well. You know, those lived experiences are so valuable. And that's, that's the beauty of the design. So the design is intended to bring together about 20 teams, which would be a little over 100 people. And so from across the country, potentially might even get my Ireland client on board as well. But um, from across the country, and there's just like, can you imagine the amount of wisdom that we can cull from that group? Um, so that folks can, our folks are going to really be able to see very quickly that there are others that literally are walking in their shoes. And, but yet, like, in, facing the same kinds of circumstances, but perhaps they've gone about 
addressing it differently. So now they can harvest all of these ideas, share these rich ideas, strategies, um, successes, things that have been whopping failures, things that have really been working. Um, like we need all of that. We need all of that to be part of the discussion. And that is what we will do very skillfully with this group is help to guide that, help to cull that wisdom of the, of the collective, help us regulate with one another and get grounded with one another. Because if nothing else, that's really the best we can do in an ongoing prolonged crisis is to feel connected with others. So like, we're not gonna have all the answers. We're not gonna come up with this like crafty little solution and magically everything is just perfect. But we are, I, I feel quite confident that people are going to feel that this is, this is the lifeline they have needed to not only get through this moment, but do so with much greater grace. And those connections uh, that you make, those don't go away. No, 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 you no. Know, that's, that's, that's a resource, that's that support that, that's ongoing. It's not like you get six months of support. It's an opportunity to create a whole new network that lasts your career, your lifetime. Exactly, exactly. So we will have an online, a closed online community, and that will sustain past the six-month program. So people can crowdsource there for ideas and support with one another. And that's really, you know, we are really looking to build an intentional professional learning community that is self-sustaining. Um, and I see that in other spaces and other people do that. And, you know, that's something that we have always um, wanted to do. But, you know, unfortunately, I do, not unfortunately, but fortunately with COVID, I've now just doubled down in really understanding and investing in the um, power of virtual connection. Mm. So I feel like we, I, I have much more confidence now that we can do that work successfully. I wouldn't have Absolutely. said that. I wouldn't have said that a year ago. So now I, now is different. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I hear that. So we're talking about regulation, um, meaning being regulated. Mm -hmm. And it made me think about the regulated classroom mm -hmm. and how that kind of folds into this. We've got a, a leadership development program and yet a big chunk of what's being offered is the regulated classroom. Mm -hmm. right. You want to kind of share, talk about that? Yeah, so the regulated classroom is um, its really a tier one approach to cultivating social and emotional well-being or learning in the classroom. Um, and so because we see and we subscribe to Dr. Bruce Perry's sequence of engagement heuristic, which is essentially like this, this model that helps us to prioritize what needs to be addressed first when encountering... Um, well, actually, just like in any kind of social context, it's best if we can first kind of regulate, collectively regulate our physiological states, um, synchronize with one another so that we can be relating and then learning, available for learning. So that's, um, that's because that's so foundational to, you know, human well-being. Um, I mean, in Porges's language, that's the realm of social engagement. So when we're experiencing a physiological regulated state in our bodies, it actually is synonymous with feeling safety, feeling, experiencing a felt sense of safety in our bodies. And so because we see that as foundational to achievement and to success, any kind of, any way in which you define human success, we feel like it needs to be a part a big part of the program. 
Um, it's what we will be doing with the leaders. It's what we'll be helping them to develop for themselves. But also once they have that language and that experience of what is it, what is, what is it to be physiologically regulated, we then want them to feel like they can help share that with their teachers and their educators and their school communities. And so that's why the regulated classroom is such a big facet of this program. Um, yeah, because we're looking to build capacity across across the school or across their district. Yeah, well, and and those those principles transcend. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, the I love classroom, it. the office, the boardroom, home. That's right. That's um, right. I know. I've had people say, "Em, you need to write a yeah. curriculum for the regulated boardroom or the regulated office." <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, we, we got to get on that. <laughs> hey, we we could, we could talk forever, and that we've tested them. Um, we should probably be compassionate to our listeners who have, if they're still with us, have been very patient and hopefully have enjoyed this not so thinly veiled, um, what's the word I'm looking for? A pitch. It's <laughs> <laughs> not so thinly veiled pitch for the COVID crisis leadership development program. And I would, is there any, are there any last words you want to give folks? Otherwise I'm going to tell them where to go uh, to find out more. No, if they're just, you know, if they're interested in the program, I strongly encourage you to check out the details of it. And we are also um, more than willing to have a conversation if uh, people are interested in that. So hope yep. you join, hope that folks join us. Yeah. Go to the website. That is www.hearthisnow.org. That's H-E-R-E-T-H-I-S-N-O-W dot O-R-G. Thanks for joining us. See ya. <laughs> <laughs>